Hey, 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 welcome to another Pastor Duke podcast coming to you from Rock Hill, South Carolina. I am going to be bringing you a topic today that I do not feel the most qualified to teach, yet others have asked me to tackle it. It's called Raising Victorious Kids in a Defeated World. I've heard titles similar to that by other guys, but this is my version of it. Parenting Challenges and now Grandparenting Challenges. So here we go. If I have any successes in parenting, I give all the credit to the Lord Jesus Christ and my beautiful and awesome Proverbs 31 wife, Joellen. Many have heard me say through the years, I am a rich man. And and the fact that uh, our three kids have embraced, loved, and served our Lord Jesus all the days of their lives, uh, I'm a rich man. And now it's happening again in another generation. Makes me happy. Our children have never brought shame to our Lord Jesus or uh, to our family's pastoral ministry at Temple Baptist, now church at Half Moon, New York, all through the years. Two of our uh, three never once even broke our trust, and the one who did broke our trust uh, was only on minor issues, like talking on the phone to her future husband when she was about 16 years old at 2 o'clock in the morning when the long phone cord, remember those? (laughs) Stretched from uh, the wall mount uh, phone, remember those? Uh, To her bedroom and making my way to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I more than once uh, perhaps tripped over that cord. So that was breaking our trust, breaking our rules, but nothing that really would have registered on a Richter scale on uh, moral values. So we were blessed. She would soon win that uh, young man to the Lord Jesus. Uh, missionary dating, I wasn't really for that, but uh, that's how I was uh, brought to the Lord. And so it happened again in the next generation. Well, they wound up getting married, gave us two grandkids, and it uh, turns out her boyfriend, Scott, my son-in-law, slept through a good part of those late-night talks. Way to go, Scott. <laughs> she had it coming. Um, our kids have given us much credibility uh, in the ministry through the years. They all came to Christ between the ages six and seven years old and gave evidence of a sweet new spirit in Christ, conviction of their sin, learned to treat each other better, uh, having a hunger for the word of God, a burden for souls, a spiritual nature, a sensitivity to sin, all the evidences that you would see in adults' conversion. We saw that in our children. So we were convinced that Jesus truly did come into their hearts. Jesus, uh, my daughter Leah uh, was uh, about six. She told her mom on a Saturday morning just after I left that she wanted to get saved and but I want daddy to be here. So she sat on the couch with a Bible, which she was not old enough to read yet, but sat on the couch and waited for me two hours to come home. We went up to the church, our original little building, knelt at the altar, talked to her a few minutes, gave her the Romans road, which she pretty much could give back to me already. And she prayed to receive Jesus as her savior. My daughter, Rachel, received Christ at Daily Vacation Bible School, led to the Lord by Mrs. Wallace. I love you, Mrs. Wallace. Uh, Marilyn Valu's mother, who was our church secretary, who our kids affectionately called 
Aunt Mare, and my son Duke was led to the Lord by Ernie McHale, our former children's ministry director, did a great job for us for a number of years uh, at our marketplace 29 AD. All of our former temple people remember that. They were great memories. God was showing up. 800 people coming to Daily Vacation Bible School, 400 of them adults. Oh, man, what a work God was doing in those days. So we're thankful for those great memories. And uh, Ernie led my son, little Duke, to the Lord. He was about seven years old. Thank you, Ernie. He's in heaven now. We're so thankful for uh, church people pouring into our kids as we had no family anywhere close by, several older women filled the role as grandmas for our kids. We actually called Lucille Ballard Grandma Ballard. We had an old world Italian uh, gal, Genevieve Marinello, who stepped up as well uh, as, it's, as it were, surrogate grandmothers. My daughters loved to spend the night at her house. She'd take down her long hair and they'd comb it and she just made my... Uh, daughters feel like a million dollars. Then Josie Marinello came along, kind of stepped up when Genevieve went home to be with the Lord. And so God has just provided uh, a surrogate family for our kids. As I had uh, mentioned before, uh, our beloved church secretary, really our operations director, she was way more than a secretary. Uh, they actually called her Aunt Mare, along with her husband, Norm Valu. They helped raise our daughters. Other families uh, poured into our kids, uh, especially our beloved youth pastor Joe and his wife Cindy Russo. They were huge in all of our kids' lives, reinforcing everything that we taught them at home. Dean and Mary Claire um, Mays uh, poured into Duke. Uh, Jim and uh, Susan Champlin poured into Duke as well. We reaped the benefit of a close relationship with uh, godly people and uh, fun people in our church. Uh, my kids saw the good, the bad, and the ugly, but let me tell you, the good far outweighed the bad. Many uh, pastors and their wives poured into our kids, uh, as I often would do, church camps around the country, take my kids with me, even though oftentimes they were too young even to go to camp, and yet the teenage girls at the camp would take my little kids under their belt, and my kids just have that time of their life, made them feel valuable, made them feel they were worth a billion dollars, and they are. Uh, I would preach in various churches around the country. Oftentimes, my kids would go with me. Pastor Wayne Gwynn, now with the Lord, going to his funeral this Tuesday, 80 years old, finished well, used to take my son fishing. Uh, Pastor Charlie Horton in New Jersey, off the Jersey Shore, we went fishing with Pastor Charlie three, four times a year for many years. These people were treasures in the lives of my children. I'm eternally thankful for them. You see, parents, what I'm trying to tell you, get good people into the lives of your kids. They'll make all the difference in the world. Today, our kids are all in great marriages with no divorce or separations. We prayed for our children's mates from the time they were born, and God answered those prayers in a wonderful way. All three of our kids have combined to give us eight grandchildren and one in heaven our firstborn uh, son, only son, Duke, and his wife, Jocelyn, lost Caleb, Michael, Herget, in a full-term stillborn. We all cried together, we pulled together, and we worshiped our way through uh, that heartbreak uh, time of our lives together. Uh, did you notice 
I said the word together. Our greatest earthly pain, the loss of Caleb, uh, will soon yield to one of our greatest heavenly joys as we will meet Caleb on the other side. I think sooner than later. You see, faith-based families rise above the trials and become stronger. Without faith, those things destroy people. They destroy marriages, and yet in Christ uh, we can do all things. It was kind of the application of our faith in a time of need. I guess I'll start the parenting principles when they uh, when they were young, and, and as they got a little older, I'll kind of do it more of a uh, chronology of age rather than uh, topically. It's going to get a little com- discombobulated along the way, but I'm going to hit principles that... Uh, made the difference uh, in us is how, how we did it. You know, we were very insecure uh, in those early days uh, parenting because I've never done it before. You only get one chance to do it and uh, realizing what's at stake, that God has entrusted us as parents with eternal souls. These kids are going to spend eternity either with the Lord in heaven and with us or they're going to spend eternity in hell. And the thought of that ought to motivate parents to walk with Jesus. From the start, we prayed for our children and rejoiced in their conception. We told our kids the stories about how we prayed for them and uh, how we celebrated their birth and how mama was when the water broke and when we went to the hospital. We told them these stories. We let them know they were prayed for. They were answered to our prayers. We dedicated them to the Lord before their birth while they were in vitro. We dedicated them again in the delivery room. The doctors heard me praying as they were kind of cleaning up uh, uh, after the uh, the birth. They heard uh, Papa Duke, Daddy Duke, <laughs> I guess in those days, uh, praying out loud, praying over our child. Get, Lord, give us wisdom to raise these kids and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you know, uh, kind of comes to my mind the verse that G- it says that in all things Christ might be preeminent. I'm telling you, folks, it works. Uh, we dedicated them again in a public uh, uh, church setting, a, you know, a church a baby dedication, we call it, and uh, we had that certificate. We talked to them. What did it mean in our hearts when we dedicated them publicly in the house of God? They knew from the beginning that they were prayed for. They knew they were given to us by God. That They knew that we believed that uh, we were trusted by God to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They felt valued. They knew they were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. They knew they had unique and different personalities and different giftings from our Lord. And, of course, when kids are brought up this way, they're not going to wind up with gender uh, dysphoria. They're not going to have so many of the problems that children who are void of truth, who have been stimulated by the lies of the devil it makes all the difference in the world the little things things being done right from the beginning we were trying to model for them what godly masculinity should look like uh, uh, by me and uh, what godly femininity uh, should look like 
from mom. They were taught humility is a huge character trait, that humility is a good thing, that God will give grace to the humble and he will resist the proud. It was in their face from the beginning. They were taught that humility will never fail them. They were taught to be confident in who God made them to be. And we, as I mentioned before, Joel and I long to model for them benevolence towards the poor, benevolence towards the hurting, to model compassion for the elderly, and good cheer and having a lot of fun towards children. Hopefully, and I, I believe they did, see those character traits in us. We were leaning hard on God's uh, promise in the Proverbs, train up a child in the way that he shall go, and when he is old, he'll not depart uh, the truth. You know, the Bible teaches a law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. The Bible says, I think, seven times in the book of Genesis, uh, one, that everything reproduces after its kind. So do you notice I use the word model? We will uh, reproduce who we are. Hopefully that'll be a good thing. We will reap what we have sown. These are the laws that govern the universe. Baby dedication at its core is really the dedication of parents' hearts to raise the kids biblically. Uh, If I want my kids to think biblically, I must think biblically. If I want them to live biblically, I must live biblically. I must model it. It's my calling. I can't shirk that responsibility. I can only pass on what I have. If I teach something that I don't practice, I'm a hypocrite, and kids see right through that so fast. We must believe it. We must live it. We must model it. I guess that's my introduction. I got 10 points, but they're mostly quick. Number one, the kids needed to learn the principles of biblical authority. You know, God is a, a, a triune God, uh, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three are one. But Jesus, equal to the Father, but submitted to the Father. Joellen, equal to me as wife, but submitted to me uh, as her spiritual leader. And I could do a whole podcast, probably will, on what that really looks like. The world has perverted that. They've made it out to be like a negative thing. And so I just have to do a whole podcast on what biblical authority is all about. But they, kids need to learn the principles of authority, and the sooner the better. We taught our kids that God is the big boss, then mom and dad are the next bosses at home, and kids uh, are to obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6, 1. Drive that into the hearts of your kids. So we had to model authority. God is dad's boss. He's the big boss at our home. Then dad's the next boss. Mom submits to dad. And, of course, as I mentioned before, there is huge uh, uh, mutuality um, in her, my wife and I's relationship were equal, yet I'm still to be the spiritual leader. She's still to submit to that leadership. And Joellen modeled that uh, submission uh, to me uh, in a very beautiful way. We always tried to stay on the same uh, page with one another when it came to discipline because um, Joellen was a tough guy at our house. She she set down a rule and it was fast. I was neg- I could negotiate by good behavior. I was the soft touch. The kids would obviously come to me first, 
because uh, if I made a decision, Joan would always support it. But sometimes they made the mistake of going to her first, and she'd say no, and then they'd come to me, and I'd say yes, and well, and then we'd figure out that uh, they went to both of us, and we let them know that that was going to really get them in trouble, and they ought better never do that again. And so we had to wade through that, as all parents do. So they saw mom uh, submitting to dad, and they were able to understand that uh, dad is the leader of our home, but to be a servant leader, not a dominant bully. Um, I'll, I'll do another podcast on spiritual leadership, what that ought to look like. As my kids watched my spiritual leadership and mom's fellowship, I don't know if that's a word or not, but I make words up, you know that. Uh, they were seeing Joellen modeling being under biblical authority. And uh, it didn't mean that dad was always right. It meant uh, that he was always the leader. If dad was wrong, God would intervene and correct him, was what mama would say. We're to follow dad's leadership. And um, Joellen modeled it so well for them. So our kids saw it in mom, and they grew up understanding that authority is a good thing and not evil, that authority is a protection and not a problem. They learned authority and how God used it uh, to flow into their lives. So with uh, understanding authority at home, they just naturally understood it at church, the the pastor, of course that was me, and the elders and and, uh, Sunday school teachers carried a biblical authority. They learned it at school. They already knew it before they got to school. They learned it in society. And I remember Leah, I love this story. She'd always say when she was little, Dad, who's the, who's the, who's the boss here? Who's the big boss? I mean, it'd be like at a store. Sometimes I'd be preaching in another church with me, and she'd say, who's the big boss? And she always said that. And I'd say, well, I, I don't know, the store manager, who, the pastor, whatever. One day I asked her, like, well, Leah, why do you always ask that question? <laughs> she looked at me like I, was like I was a dummy, like, duh. Well, Dad, you you find out who the big boss is and you be really nice to them and then you get what you want. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. You know, if God's the big boss and you obey him, then he blesses you. I should have figured out at five, six years old. It took me like 20 years to even get a glimpse of how that thing worked. But she figured it out very young. Hopefully we modeled it for them. So number one, the principles of authority. Number two, principles of discipline. And boy, another controversial subject. Do a whole podcast on this as well. But any parent who has more than one child knows that different means of discipline work different with each child. Um, The Bible says spare the rod, uh, spoil the child, not popular today. And that is a real controversial subject. But uh, we had a... uh, we had a paddle uh, up above uh, our refrigerator. We called it the uh, Board of Education would be applied to the seat of understanding as necessary. And uh, we uh, we hardly ever used it. I don't think Joellen ever used it, uh, maybe once or twice. And I think maybe I did twice with Leah. I think quite a, several times with Rachel. She didn't seem to learn as fast as her older sister, uh, but still not very many times. And I don't think we used it after maybe eight or nine years old with her. And then with Duke, I, I think maybe once, but I'm not even sure of that. You know, he complied. But we learned uh, uh, discipline from how God 
disciplined his kids. The nation of Israel uh, was free from Egyptian bondage. They walked through the Red Sea. They're out there. Moses takes them to the mountain of God, and he gives the Ten Commandments. And watch how God did this. Number one, he got their attention. Are you listening, parents? He got their attention, and uh, the mountain quakes and fire and smoke, and people are like, whoa, <laughs> well, listen to this. Number two, he clearly communicated the law, the Ten Commandments in stone, and ultimately the entirety of the Mosaic Law. He cl- communicated clearly. Number three, he sent prophets. He would give a warning. He gave a second chance. He showed grace. Are you listening, uh, parents? Uh, Got their authority, made it clear, gave grace. Number four, he sent judgment. He told them exactly what he would do and why he would do it, and he would do it pretty much immediately. Right there in the wilderness, judgments came because they didn't listen. And that's how we should parent our children. Get their attention, not usually in a bad moment, but in a good moment. Sit them down when it's a good time and minister to them and tell them, here's the rules. God is the big boss. Dad is the next boss. Then mama, then you guys. And it's your job. You want to honor the Lord then honor your parents. And here's the rules. We'd explain the best we could what the rules were and why and the consequences for violation of the rule. When they broke the rule, we warned them once. If they didn't listen and we knew they wouldn't, then we followed up with the discipline that we had told them about. And so that's the way it works. And I'm telling you, the breakdown of that is when you don't keep your word as a parent. You just warn them, and you tell them, and, you know, my mom say, I'm not going to tell you again. Yes, she was. You could tell by the octave of her voice. She had about the, the third level octave. That's when we began to listen, because that's when she really meant it. And she was so long-suffering, she didn't know Jesus then, but she's in heaven now. But uh, she put up with a lot of stuff that she didn't need to, but that was on her. Uh, but um, anyway, that's how God disciplined his kids, and that's the way we ought to discipline our kids as well. You know, there you have the Heavenly Father laying out the model plan for us to parent by. Sorry, Dr. Spock. Sorry, Dr. Phil. Sorry, Oprah. I'll do it my Heavenly Father's way. They understood authority, uh, they understood discipline. And as they got older, we found grounding was an important thing. Whatever it was that worked, I'd ground uh, uh, Rachel for 175,000 years, and then by good behavior, like a hug at night, that might take off 10,000 years of of being grounded, things like that. We kind of turned it into fun because I wanted them to know that I loved them, I loved them, I loved them. And uh, we just figured out ways to kind of make bring some happiness, even if it was a time of, of, of punishment. Number three, principles of practicing the presence of God. (laughs) You're not going to hear that in uh, Dr. Um, Spock's book or anything like that. Principles of practicing the presence of God. We tell uh, people, uh, well, Jesus is with you always, and he is, but they don't always understand that. They don't always sense that. We have to practice that. We have to teach that. We have to model it. The Bible talks about that in all things Christ might be uh, preeminent is our home 
Christ-centric? Is he central in our homes? Our kids saw mom and dad having a quality, quiet time every morning when they got up. Kids want to be like their parents an awful lot. If personal worship is a priority uh, for uh, busy parents, uh, it, it will become very important in the lives of their kids because they want to grow up. They want to be mature. And if they see it's important to mom and dad, and as they begin to practice a daily quiet time, getting alone with God and teaching them how to do it, showing them the model and teaching them how to have quiet time, how to have devotions. Um, we sang. This is huge in, in my story. We sang. We were a singing family. From the very start, we sang Jesus' happy songs, little funny songs, little crazy songs. Uh, Father Abraham has 9,000 verses. <laughs> we acted it out. Mm. We had Jesus celebration in song, in the car, around the table at dinner, in the morning, at bedtime. We sang. It was part. We made spiritual uh, joy in the Lord uh, in our hearts with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's power of having a singing home. People say, how did you do it? That's how we had it. It was very important. It was huge. We tried to have a family altar. And, of course, I was gone at night. I called I changed the name of the family church, family devotions, where we would kind of bring the whole family in. And, uh, boy, I struggled with that. I wasn't really good at it. I tried to make it interesting. Kids were bored. They didn't want to do it. A lot of times we'd just break down to singing a couple songs, a Bible verse, and I'd pray. But I just tried to keep a presence of God in the family. But Saturday night it was different when we would pray for daddy to be anointed when he preaches tomorrow morning. And I would tell them about some of the burdens in the church. And my kids would pray for our church people. They really did take that to heart. I did an interview with my daughter, uh, daddy-daughter uh, interview. And Leah brought that up about how important that was uh, to them, even as children praying for the needs of hurting people in our church. So family altar wasn't a screaming success, but I did the very best at it. But I found that my family altar really was not a church service. My family altar was dinner. Dinner really became pretty much our family church. That's where the rubber met the road at our house as the, as the most victorious part of our parenting. It's where love flowed into our everydayism. Let me say that again. Around the dinner table, it's where love flowed into our everydayism. We sat down together. There's that word. Together, we ate. Uh, we'd, my kids would all say, significant groceries, a term we got from old papa, my dad. We always had dessert. We were pie people. We were pudding people. And we finished off with dessert. We had many guests at our table. Uh, we had open hearts and open homes and open table. We had three ex foreign exchange students, all who said their favorite part of being in our home for a year uh, was dinner. <laughs> and it was so much more than just the food around the dinner table, but the food was significant. At the dinner table, we dumped our burdens of the day uh, on one another, or we celebrated the victories. Uh, there was most of the time great joy around our dinner table. Dinner was our family's safe place. It was a structure place. It was going to happen, happen every day. Our dinners always lasted 30 minutes when things would get rolling. Oftentimes they'd last an hour as we got talking about what was happening. Dinner was way more. Um, 
uh, to us and more value to us even in the family church, which, as I mentioned, I tried and didn't do so well at through the years. Number five principle, guests. We had so many ministry guests in our home, not just for meals, but for lodging. We had such little money in those days. We housed many of our missionaries, guest speakers at our house. My kids sat with uh, Naeem Khoury, a Palestinian Arab, and his family heard Arabic at our table. Uh, uh, Egyptians, uh, people from Egypt, um, uh, they sat with Koreans around our table and heard these various languages, many Africans, different African dialects, Swahili, hear the Lord's Prayer in all these languages. They loved it. Bolivians, many, many Swedes at our house. That's a whole nother podcast. Um, <clears throat> Japanese uh, people, Japanese foreign exchange students, French Canadians, they heard many languages in our home. They learned simple songs in various languages. They experienced multiculturalism at home and ethnic foods at home. There's no room for racism at the feet of Jesus in a Jesus house. And we had great friends of different races, and my kids knew the love of God that put all that silliness away, and brought great joy into their lives. And we always told them, this is all the benefit of being a pastor's kid. Other kids don't have all these amazing experiences right in their home like we were privileged to do. It was a fun home to grow up in. It was an interesting home to grow up in because of guests. Number six, travels. We had long drives back and forth to Michigan and Ohio to see family. We tried to make the, the drives into something fun. Again, lots of singing and then sign language became part of our family. And we would sing and we would sign. We'd learn sign language. We played car games. Uh, uh, we interacted with the kids. Uh, we tried to make it fun. Uh, I would travel out to preach. Uh, many times I would take my children with me and they'd sing little songs. The girls had nice little voices. I would take them to the rest home, and the rest home people adored my uh, daughters, and uh, take them with me, and they got loved up, and they learned the joy of giving. They learned the joy of serving. I'd mentioned Bible caps uh, before. Uh, I get off notes and throw things in, and I get back to my notes. Sometimes I say things twice, forgive me, but I'm excited about this, if you can't tell. And my little girls would be in the big cabins with the older girls, and Duke would be the number one frog catcher in the whole teen camp, and he's only eight. He loved that. He felt like a champion of the world. So Bible camps were really uh, helpful in the lives of our kids. Get your kids to Bible camp. Oh, my goodness. Mission trips. Uh, you know, our kids would go back to school uh, in, in September, and you know, kids would say, where did you go for vacation? Oh, we went to Jersey Shore. And asked my kids, where did you go for vacation? Uh, we went to Sweden. <laughs> we went to Mexico. My kids were on mission trips, and they met people from all over the world. They sat in churches, heard Daddy preach through interpreters, and God just seemed to provide the money to make that stuff happen. It was fantastic. Uh, it was exciting raising our kids, can you tell? Uh, man, my kids have been to Ukraine. They did mission trips to Hawaii. And so uh, number six, travels. Number seven, ministry involvement. I've already mentioned that quite a bit. Um, 
going into the rest homes, letting them get a bite of that bread Jesus talked about. I have bread to eat that you know not of. My kids were experiencing Jesus. They were watching dad lead people to Christ. I'd take my girls in to teach the basic Bible course and the the people would have uh, children and my girls would be the babysitters and their kids fell in love with my kids and their kids would say, we're going to their church. And uh, man, they were ministering and then they'd they'd see their um, people out in the living room on their knees receiving Jesus as Savior. They felt ownership. They felt like part of the ministry uh, at Temple Baptist. And, you know, lots of people were getting saved, and my daughters watched that. They couldn't wait to be in the adult choir. We wouldn't let them in until they were seventh grade. And we had a bunch of teenagers in our adult choir because it was cool to grow up fast. And so they served the Lord. They they went to VBS, and then next year they were too old to go. They served in VBS. We had ministries, Marketplace 29 AD. I mentioned before, 800 people coming. My girls went to it and served in it. Uh, we had an Easter production called The Choice, like a Broadway play. Rachel had the lead in that thing when she's 16 years old, sang. We had uh, 4,000 people come out for the six uh, presentations that we had uh, for The Choice, Many people got saved. My kids watched people getting saved. They watched the church growing. God was real. And he uh, put his hand on them and blessed them. So uh, we we have them uh, in ministry involvement. Number eight, and this starts out really, really young, guiding their friendship as much as possible with other children. You get church kids, get them into your home. Get your kids into their home. You choose their friends as much as possible. Get them involved with people where their best friends are good friends. And uh, the homes that they visit are, are going to have the same values that you have. I mean, you can't just let the kids make their friends at school. They won't want to go to church anymore. I remember uh, Leah uh, went to to the public school out of Christian school in fifth grade. There was lots of reasons that led to that. And the kids at school, they'd been in the same classes together all these years. Now here's this new kid, this preacher's daughter, and they kind of ignored her. The teacher, Mrs. Golden, pulled her aside and said, Lee, I'm so ashamed of these kids. They kind of ignore you. You're you're a great gal, and uh, I'm so glad to have you in my class. And Leah looked at her and said, fifth grade now. Was she 11? Mrs. Golden, that's okay. I don't have to be cool at school. I'm cool at church. (laughs) Let that sink in. That is huge. She was cool at church. But what if she wasn't at church? What if she wasn't part of the youth group? What if she didn't have fantastic Christian friends and others pouring into her life? Are, Are you following my drift here? Choose their friends as much as possible and support that so that uh, they'll be ready. Another experience, I'll share this. Uh, it's eighth grade. Leah's becoming kind of popular at school now a little bit, and uh, she's invited to this overnight, and I didn't want her to go, and I knew if I didn't let her go, I was going to be the bad guy, but I knew if she did go, she, was gonna, she wasn't going to be comfortable. So I sat her down, and I had to talk. I told her exactly what would happen. I'm going to let you go because if I don't, 
I'll be the bad guy, and I'm not the bad guy, but Satan's going to come after you, and here's what you're going to see. They're going to get together, they're going to do a little girly talk, and uh, they're going to start talking about boys and kissing, and how far would you go with a boy, touchy sexuality, and then they're going to have Ouija boards. Oh, no, they won't do that, Dad. They won't do that. They're, they're good people. They won't do that. I said, okay, I hope you're right, but I, I've been in the world. I'm worldly wise. Here's what you're going to run into. And guess what? I let her go. And guess what? <laughs> it happened exactly like dad said it would. She was shocked. But her confidence in dad grew and her desire to be cool at school was like done. There was another girl there who also was a Christian who was also a new kid. Her name was Corrine. And when everybody else is doing the bad stuff, calling the boys on the phone and talking sex and all this bad stuff, uh, they just went upstairs and talked about Jesus <laughs> and kind of pulled themselves away from the party. Her and Kareem became uh, great friends for the rest of their school days. So uh, I'm running out of time, and I'm not running out of material, I, uh, but I, I'm going to hit the next one here. Number eight, critical moments uh, along the way. Um were, you know, crisis moments uh, of conflict. And I, I remember that, that when they would hit happen, those are great opportunities. Boy, emotionally, you can really blow it here, parents. When you're having those real huge moments of conflict, cool your jets, keep your mouth shut, be still, know that he is God, wait upon the Lord, get, get your senses. But uh, uh, a moment um, with Rachel, uh, it was uh, coming back from my birthday uh, dinner with Joelle and his beautiful winter night. Rebecca uh, Sampson was our babysitter, and uh, we were getting home about 10 o'clock and figured everybody would be asleep, or Rebecca be asleep on the couch. And nope, every light on. We pull in the driveway. Doors fly open. Kids come running out, screaming, crying, yelling. And uh, Leah and Rachel had had a fight, and it was usually Rachel's fault who, who, who Leah might have instigated. Rachel finished it, and I went in. I was so angry. I was ready to verbally rip off both Rachel's arms. <laughs> and, and, and I went in, and I was so angry. And, um, and she just went into her defense, and she could speak 360 words per minute with gusts to 400. She wondered where she learned that from. And she just went into it, and I was just ready to just verbally tear her up. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, shut up, Duke, just stand there. And I looked at Rachel, and I said, Rachel, I think you need a hug. She was shocked. Man, you look like my dad. But I wasn't acting like her dad. I was acting like Jesus. He took over the situation. And I said, hug me. I don't care what happened. The important thing is now we'll figure out whatever the problem is. We'll figure that out later. What's real important now is you need to know that dad loves you. Just hug me and we'll just take this to the Lord, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. I love you. And let's pray. And we fell down on our knees and she was beginning to weep and she prayed Oh, Lord, I'm such a, a terrible sister, and Leah's awesome, and I treat her so bad. She just confessed every sin under the uh, she could think of, and she got right with God. And I was just guiding her. I didn't, the Holy Spirit was working in her heart. I didn't have to beat her up. And I mean, I never, never beat her up physically, of course, but I didn't have to beat her up with my words. I just loved on her, and the power of the gospel was there. But you see, I had a relationship with her very deep for a long time, and in that critical moment, Jesus was there. And so what could have really been a bad, bad moment, Jesus made it a very memorable moment. That was probably like 35 years ago, thirty, uh, probably 33 years ago. And uh, it's just as fresh with me today 
as it was the night it happened. I had another conflict with Leah. It wasn't a, a confrontation, but uh, she had uh, snuck out and bought a Reba McIntyre uh, CD, and uh, we had no secular music in our house in those days at all. Uh, Jesus was preeminent, and and I was a little bit legalistic, and God was teaching me to kind of balance things out a little bit, and she was hiding it from me, and she was afraid if I found out she had a Reba McIntyre tape that I'd take it away from her and throw it away and yell at her. And, boy, I found out what happened and what she felt. And I went into the bedroom, and she was scared. And I got down on my knees. I began to weep. I said, Lee, I owe you an apology. What? I said, here, you have a Reba McIntyre tape. I said, and I have been out of balance. And I took responsibility of maybe not having things balanced out so well. She saw Daddy's humility. I asked her to forgive me, and that God was teaching me. And I'll go out right now and buy you another Reba McIntyre country tape. I don't hardly know anything. I hate country. I'm, I'm an old hippie. You know, we don't like country. But but see, that that problem became an opportunity because I walked in the spirit that day. I humbled myself before my daughter. I confessed my sin to her. Man, she forgave me so fast. And see, instead of being a conflict, now it was, uh, it was out in the open. And now uh, God had turned the sorrow into joy. He turned that mourning into dancing. And so... God can transform those those critical moments. I, I could do a hundred more examples of that. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, the last point, number 10, about bonding. Bonding with a child. You, can, you don't start that when they're teenagers getting in trouble. Well, I'm your dad. We're going to have a nice talk. It will not happen. It must start from the beginning. It must start with kissing and hugging and finally and bouncing on your knee and wrestling with those little boys and and uh, making those little girls feel like a million dollars and throwing them up in the air and just doing all the, the things that makes them happy, makes them uh, coo and goo and cry for joy as children. Bonding starts in, uh, right away. For me, as they got just a little bit older, I'm a storyteller. Daddy, tell us when you were a little boy and all these little dookie stories popped out. They're on my podcast. Go back and little dookie in the tunnel, little dookie and whatever it is. These stories emerged, and when we put him to bed at night, we'd be Bible verses. We'd do children's stories. Joanne's thing was reading books. Man, she can read so beautifully. The grandkids love it. Our children loved it. Bonding, bonding any way you can, as much as you can. I bonded with them by taking them places. Uh, Duke loved camping, fishing, hunting, hiking, uh, sports, took them to games, uh, high school games. We went to all kinds of games. Uh, and the girls liked that as well. They got to be with their friends. Uh, just was I wanted to be the center of happy memories that they had, and that's all part of bonding. I dated my daughters from the time they're like five. Would dress up in a coat and tie and take them to a nice restaurant because they're worth it, and teach them how they deserve to be treated by the right guy someday when they get older. Dating your daughters, bonding. Um, I wrote Christmas love letters to my family. I do even to this day, uh, and I would publicly affirm my children on their birthdays and what it is about them that makes me so proud of them. Public affirmation at church, public affirmation at home. Um, the Christmas love letters is huge where I would read them to the whole family. And uh, anyway, bond, bond, bond. One of my highlights is growing up, Leah, I'd come home about maybe 10 o'clock at night from teaching a Bible class in a home, whatever, come home, there'd be a note on the table, Dad, wake me up early tomorrow, we need to talk. <laughs> she, 
and uh, her daddy were tight. And uh, she, I was her main counselor. But you will not start that uh, when they're older. It's funny, that little girl that was rejected in fifth grade, I don't have to be cool at school, I'm cool at church. Guess who her senior class voted to be the prom queen? You got it, Miss Leah. You should read what her public high school unsafe friends wrote in her yearbook. Unbelievable. I was so proud of her. You see, she just knew the Lord, walked with the Lord, lived for the Lord, presented to the Lord, to her public school. Many of her friends came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So in summary, it's been said, you don't know how well you've parented until you see how your grandkids are raised and how they turn out. Well, if that's the credentials, I am a most happy man. Emily, our oldest granddaughter, is in second year at Bible college. She is lighting it up. She's beautiful. She's on fire for the Lord. She's personable. She's got all the gifts. And the college is recognizing it. They're promoting her. And uh, man, oh, man, she is, she is rocking it. Her younger brother, Andrew, just graduated from high school. He's got a one-year internship ministry training in his local church. Man, he spent the summer at a Christian camp, got paid $450 a week to play the drums. He's a great musician, drums, keyboards, gifted, gifted guy. He's learning leadership. He's never, neither of them have ever broken their parents' trust. Um, Amazing young people. Eliana's national champ, we call her in uh, cheerleading. They won the national championship last year in Orlando, Florida. She's walking with the Lord and uh, has a burden for souls. My next grandson, Jack, uh, just got baptized, baptized him this summer. He's spent uh, a week at summer camp serving. He's on fire for the Lord. He's just really experiencing God this summer like never before. My next granddaughter, Josie, just received Jesus into her heart as personal Lord and Savior, and we see evidences of Christ moving in her heart, and of course, we got the younger three down here um, in South Carolina, uh, ages uh, six, four, almost seven, five, and three, and they wake up in the morning happy. They're singing those same little Jesus songs we taught their parents 40 years ago, 50 years ago almost, and so I'm a happy guy, and I hope some of this uh, rambling of mine about parenting principles has been a blessing to you. I guess I could summarize it this way. Love won. Truth prevailed. Joy has reigned in our home, in our marriage. My kids uh, love um, their mates. They love us. We're tight. We, uh, we're happy. God blessed us. That generational curse was broken when I got saved. All the alcohol and and of the immorality and stuff that was prominent in my family it broke. Jesus broke that, and now my descendants, my kids, my grandkids, man, thank you, Jesus. Oh Lord, give our parents wisdom, give them humility, give them power, protect the kids from the evil one. He hates them. He's going after them. Give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Bye-bye for now.